there's like there's a lot of evidence that shows your emotions. So if you are stressed or mad or upset, then you're going to, you're going to feel pain a lot more. So if you're mad and then you stub your toe, it's going to hurt you a lot more because it's just adding on to the psychological stress. Like it's another thing. You're you're already stressed, so your body thinks you're in danger. Then you stub your toe. And then your brain thinks that something bad has happened and you're physically in danger, not just psychologically in danger. Welcome back to the In-Situ Collective. We have helped hundreds of people reach their health and fitness goals. This podcast is a chat about the journey along the way, lessons learned, teachable moments, and any topics we think that will help you reach your health and fitness goals as well. If we haven't met before, my name is Jack. I'm the PT. Joining me is my partner, Mac. She is the nutrition coach and soon-to-be psychologist. What is up, everybody? This episode is dedicated to you. Yes, you listening. This podcast has been growing a lot over the last couple of weeks. I am both surprised and honored, I guess you could say, that everybody's actually listening and interacting with us. We've had a lot of you reach out. Tell us what you like and what you don't like, which is always awesome as well, so we can improve this show. But not only that, a lot of you have reached out with issues that you want us to talk about, help you along with as well, questions, all of those things. Let us know that you're enjoying this podcast and it's starting to reach some more people. So it's great. Can't thank you enough. This episode is, like I said, dedicated to you guys. It's all about the topics that you have submitted over the last couple of weeks. Pain is the first one. I've had a lot of good conversations around pain. Is pain good? Is it bad? Can it be good and bad at the same time? So we dive a little bit deeper into that. Then we bring up sleep. Sleep is our favorite topic to talk about because sleep is so good for you. We've had a lot of questions over the last couple of weeks about sleep, so we want to do a whole segment on sleep. We're going to answer your questions and dive a little bit deeper into it, so make sure you have a good listen to that segment. As always, we finish, this, we finish the show off with listener questions. This week we've got a lot of good questions, so make sure you stick around and hear your question answered. Pain. I've had a lot of good conversations about pain over the last couple of weeks and a few questions from the listeners. Is pain good? Is it bad? We can see pain as a good and bad thing. Sometimes it's a pain in the joint we see it as a bad thing. Sometimes we exercise and we get some pains in our muscles and associate that with a good thing. But what the hell is going on there? So there's mixed signals there. Should we put some pain in good categories, bad categories? Mac is gonna explain exactly what's happening within the body to start with. So we have a little bit more of an understanding and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into it. Hopefully. Uh, okay. so. To start with, I just want to clarify that when I say what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that you your pain isn't real or that you're experiencing pain in any way that you shouldn't be experiencing it because pain is so subjective. So every person experiences it differently and even throughout your life, you can handle pain differently and tolerate different sorts of pain. And it has a lot to do with your emotions behind it as well which I will get into but firstly 
what happens physically when you feel pain so say for example you hit your finger on something it inflames the tissue straight away and then that sends chemicals which activate nerve endings and they send a message from your finger all the way up your arm to your spine and eventually to your brain and then it goes to different parts of your brain and then you decide within a millisecond whether like you need to quickly move your arm away from the pain if it's like say you're getting a tattoo for example obviously you have to be able to tell your body it's an okay pain don't flinch don't move away from it if it's hot or like you've burnt your finger then yeah obviously you're going to move extremely quickly away from the pain but I think that that is like the immediate pain and then there is the kind of pain where it's sort of like a dull ache so I think the most thing that we the people we speak to experience is joint pain like you said or probably yeah probably joint pain and obviously pain is a signal like Jack said that something is wrong but also that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad so you could say you've got an aching knee it doesn't mean that you immediately have to go to the doctor and book in to get surgery to get rid of that pain there's many things that you can do to lessen the pain before that, which is, it's just, it's a signal to the body that something isn't right, essentially. So physically, you could go to a PT and get some proper exercises, but there's also a lot that you can do mentally because more and more and more studies are showing that, well, like I just explained the process, pain is directly related to the brain. So how I said when you whack your finger and it sends a chemical message to your up your spine, to your brain, it can also happen in reverse. So you can conjure up pain yourself by thinking that something is hurting you. So there's actually no stimulus, say, in your finger. But if you like think about it hard enough and long enough and repeatedly, then you will feel pain in your finger because it's, it's a two-way street. So the example, there was a really good YouTube video that showed an example of this. You've probably, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before. But essentially these participants in the study put their hand in a box and then, so they couldn't see their hand, it was covered by the box and then next to the box was a rubber glove. And the experimenter, the scientist, poked the rubber glove and the person could feel their hand being poked. So they did it like he poked their hand a few times and then poked the rubber glove, rubber glove a few times. There was a few different variations, but essentially what the study showed was that we can feel pain without anything actually being there. Yeah. It's a long story short. <laughs> and I strongly recommend anybody that gets referred pain, as in you just have a pain dull pain or a sharp pain within your body somewhere, whether it's joint or anything like that, go and watch this because it's very interesting. It opens up your eyes to what pain actually is yeah. and the signals that you might be getting that are, you know, maybe don't exist. Yeah, definitely. And alongside that as well, there's like, there's a lot of evidence that shows your emotion. So if you are stressed or mad or upset then you're going to you're going to feel pain a lot more so if you're mad and then you stub your toe it's going to hurt you a lot more because it's just adding on to the psychological stress like it's another thing 
you're, you're already stressed so your body thinks you're in danger then you stub your toe and then your brain thinks that something bad has happened and you're physically in danger not just psychologically in danger and then the same goes for the opposite so if you have broken your arm or something I think like there's hundreds of cases out there of people having serious injuries and they say that they their mindset is what helped them recover and a lot of the time having a positive mindset staying happy not getting angry or frustrated or feeling stressed helps you stay calm and ultimately helps reduce the pain helping you recover better mm. so yeah the brain has like a, a lot to do with your pain and i think when it comes to joint pain people sort of freak out like i said earlier like they have to get surgery immediately when there's actually a lot more you can do before you even consider that. Yeah. Um, before I get into my examples and the conversations I've had, do you remember the story you were telling me about the lecturer who got bitten by a snake? Oh, yes. I was going to talk about that and I yeah. completely forgot. So it was actually a TED Talk. We can probably oh. link it below, but it was a really good TED Talk. I've had three separate lecturers recommend that we watch this TED Talk. So... It's an Australian one as well, which makes it a little bit more relatable. So this guy was walking through the bush. Um, I think he was by himself. I can't actually quite remember. And he got bit by a snake on his ankle and he was like, oh, ow, and sort of just kept walking and didn't think anything of it. And then it started throbbing. So he checked it and saw that he had been bitten by a snake. So then he did whatever, fixed it, went to hospital and then... The next time he went bushwalking and every time from that event onwards, if a, he stepped on a stick and it touched his ankle or a piece of grass touched his ankle in a similar way or a bug bit him, he immediately had the reflex like it was a snake. So because that was a dangerous event, his brain remembered that pain and then every pain, every sensation that was similar to the pain of a snake bite, the brain immediately made him run or be in fight or flight mode yeah which is i feel like that happens to a lot of us without us even realizing well to refer that back to the gym and i wanted to talk about that because that's very extreme like getting bit bitten by a snake is very scary and painful so it creates that memory yeah so every time something was brushing his ankle he's thinking he's getting bitten by a snake and there's pain there so as a PT, I hear this all the time. So a client will say, I can't do that exercise because it causes me pain. It's because they've done that exercise, maybe they were doing it wrong or maybe they were going too heavy or their foot, you know, bunch of reasons. They did that exercise one time and they got a pain in their knee or, um, you know, a sharp pain in the knee. So now every time they go and do that exercise, they associate that exercise with that pain in the knee which isn't necessarily the case. So they won't go, let's say a squat, because it's generally most common with knee pain. So a lot of people won't go full depth squats because they associate pain, that one time they got pain mm. with a deep squat. Now, is the deep squat actually causing pain or is it just a memory of that one time they had pain causing pain when they squat? There's, and I don't know that's very, strange and hard to think of and as a PT I can't even say that it, there could be something in that knee that actually is causing pain but sometimes there isn't and there has been a lot of studies or yeah I'd say that were studies 
where they've done phantom operations on knees. Mm -hmm. So people were, will say over years, they'll say, oh, I've had this knee pain, they'll do scans, they'll do physio, they'll do all the right stuff to fix this pain, but the pain is persisting and it's still there. So what they'll do is put them under, so they're unconscious, they'll slice their knee, so just cut their skin and then stitch it back up. And then when they woke up, they'll bring out a dummy x-ray of the operation from somebody that actually has had a knee operation. And the person will actually believe the knee has been operated on and the pain goes away. So it just brings up a point that I want to sort of talk about of not freaking out when you get pain when you exercise or after you exercise. Um, this comes from a conversation I had with a client that did split squats and she had a bit of pain in her knee so she was considering taking painkillers and again it's hard to say whether that's a good idea or a bad idea but I would just sit with that pain and sort of ask why I'm getting that pain yeah I I observed her when she was doing the exercise it was great she was doing it proper form all that sort of stuff I think it was just her knee was going into an area that it wasn't very strong in. So then because that knee isn't strong in that area, it creates a sensation and the body interprets it, interprets it as pain. So then they won't do it again, mm. if that makes sense. 100%. That's funny with the, the whole taking painkillers as well, because there have been studies that have been done and obviously there's a control group and a non-control group and one group gets painkillers, one group doesn't get painkillers, but they're told they get painkillers, like the whole placebo thing. But because they expect that the painkillers will reduce their pain, they're mentally expecting that. So mentally they've actually reduced the pain themselves, not actually the painkillers. We were talking the other morning on a walk and my wisdom teeth are starting to come through and everyone keeps asking me if it hurts. Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Like oh my God, it's going to hurt. You better get them taken out before it hurts. And it hasn't hurt, touch wood. <laughs> but sometimes I'll be thinking, oh wow, why haven't my wisdom teeth started hurting? They should be hurting. And then there'll all of a sudden be pain there. And then I'll be like, stop being stupid. And then I'll just think about something else and it will go away. Mm. So I have become, like all of the things that I've learned at uni have allowed me to become so aware of what pain is that when I sense it, I just think about my surroundings, think about am I stressed, what feels wrong, what's different. And generally, if I can just become more mindful and come back and be present in my body, it will go away. And if it doesn't, then obviously I've actually physically hurt myself or something more serious is wrong. But I just think it's very underrated how much you should just check in with yourself before you take pain medication. Mm. Like. My tooth was slightly inflamed this week because I brushed it too hard, not because my wisdom teeth were coming through and my gum was in, was swollen. So it was painful to touch. And at one point I was like, man, it's just really annoying me. Maybe I should just take Panadol. We have Panadol only because once I fell and hurt myself very badly and a nurse was like, you have to take Panadol every three hours for the next three days. And I was like, no way I'm doing that. And yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I should take Panadol. But then I, I sort of thought, what's if I take Panadol and it numbs the pain, then I'm probably going to be more reckless and just chew on that side and eat foods that are probably going to continue to inflame my gum. So I didn't take it so that I was aware of the pain and I could help it heal, which I think is also very overlooked. Like being aware, like pain 
is a signal that something's wrong, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Like you can use it to fix the problem rather than just covering the problem up. Yeah. And a lot of people will take painkillers just to work out or do something like that. And if you're at the point where you're taking painkillers to then do exercise, that could be harming the pain even more. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. So you've got two options. You either stop exercising it all together or take more painkillers. Yeah. And neither are a good option. So not taking painkillers and listening to your body and doing things correctly to prevent the pain is a good place to start. Yeah. So two conversations I had, two of the conversations, both completely different people talking about the same thing, but in different context. And I said the same thing to both of them and a, a switch just flicked in the head and they're just like, oh my God, I did not see that. So one conversation was about healing and self-improvement and just, I guess, releasing trauma from previous experiences in life, whether it's child trauma, all that sort of stuff. And this person was sort of talking about the process of doing that and they create a safe space. And one of the things is they, I guess, think about crossing your hands over your chest and giving yourself a hug. And then you do that and then create a safe environment and a happy environment and a nurturing environment and all that sort of stuff. So when you're in a stressed position or uh, you're feeling anxious and that sort of stuff, you can just cover your hands over your chest or whatever and it takes you back to that feeling of what you Safety. Safety in that class that they sort of taught you. So basically you're doing this one thing to to then bring your mind into a safe space and you become happier and Mm -hmm. feel better and the the anxiety goes away. I, and then another, per, I tell the other side, other person's story. So she was telling me about self improvement. She did this self improvement course because she's trying to grow a business and just achieve more in that world. And this teacher was saying that find a trinket, whether it's a necklace or something like that. And every time you touch that necklace, it empowers you and gives you more power to go out and achieve more. So very similar things. Mm-hmm but it's just different ways of doing it. So one was just touching your, your body, giving yourself a hug, and one was using a trinket or something to give you that power to go out and give you more. So I, I, both of them, I said, isn't it funny how people will do that with pain? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, how often do you see somebody with knee pain touch their knee mm. and say, oh, my knee hurts and start rubbing their knee? So all of a sudden they're associating this rubbing of the knee with pain. And how many years have they been doing that? Yeah. And how many pathways have they, how many times have they told their body, their mind, when I touch my knee, it hurts? So, and both of them went, oh my God, I didn't see it that way. So we all, all, every time, everybody listening, next time you, for yourself, whether you get a sore knee or wherever it is, are you, you know, are you touching that place where it hurts? Saying, oh, my elbow hurts and start rubbing it. So it's that pain pathway, it's the same connection. So you can get rid of the pain just by not associating touch with that pain. If you feel the pain in the joint, accept it, acknowledge it, but don't touch it. Mm. Don't make it stronger, don't make the connection stronger. Yeah, and you can overcome your pain doing it that way. So you can do it both ways. So you can, again, give yourself a hug and empower yourself or you can touch your knee and say it's painful and all that sort of stuff and create more pain in that p- position. So it can work both ways. 
So both ways you're tricking your brain. One is just tricking it in a bad way. Yeah. The other is tricking it in a good way. Yeah. You can, you can rub your knee and say, yes, I'm powerful. It puts me in a good spot. It's a little weird, but <laughs> um, it is doable. <laughs> All I'd say is just, again, think about it next time you see, or if you know somebody that has had an injury and for some reason that pain is sticking around, watch them next time they talk about their pain. Are they touching that area that has had that injury? I just want to take a quick break to thank you. Yes, you listening. Without people like you listening along, interacting with the podcast and sending us messages about how much you enjoy the podcast and topics you want to hear about, we really wouldn't do this. We do this podcast to help you reach your health and fitness goals. So if you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a five-star review and a positive comment wherever you're listening to this podcast because it really does help us reach more people so we can help them reach their health and fitness goals as well. If you have already, I thank you. If you haven't, I thank you in advance. And let's get back to the episode. If you are an OG listener, you will know that our first tens of episodes, we always spoke about sleep. And I think that's because it's something we are very confident in because we have critiqued our sleep behaviors so well that no matter what, we can get into our sleep routine and get a good night's sleep, which I think is very neglected because once you have this pattern or this behavior, you've got it forever, right? Yeah. And over the last five years, how many studies have proven that better sleep has, will improve whatever you're trying to achieve? Everything. Yeah, so it's not as if our oh, sleep might improve it. Sleep does 100% improve whether you're trying to lose weight, get more energy, muscle recovery, reduce pain is what we just mm -hmm. talked about. Sleep is gonna help with that. As even studies show, sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but the less sleep you got, the more pain that was there. Yeah. So again, sleep is going to improve everything. Studying, school, job, whatever you're trying to do, sleep is going to improve it. Lose weight. I think there was a couple of episodes back, I mentioned how when you're trying to lose weight, or maybe I mentioned it in a reel on Instagram. Anyway, when you're trying to lose weight, if you aren't sleeping well, it is very hard for you to make the right decisions that are going to support your body and your goals because junk food is so comforting and when you're sleep deprived you feel uncomfortable and irritable so obviously reaching for sugar and more coffee and takeout just gives you that instant dopamine hit like you feel good like your chips are super crunchy and hot and it feels good for a second and that is just trying to fill the void that you have created with a lack of sleep mm. so it literally willpower you have less willpower yes, far less willpower when you sleep less. So sleep more and you're gonna achieve your goals better. You're gonna have more willpower to achieve them. Uh, did you wanna start, I think you got a question about sleep? Yeah, so I got a question this week about, I get this question very often actually from new mums who obviously have less than optimal sleep situation, circumstances. Um, and this mum just asked, how can I get more sleep if my kids don't know, like I, she's, she's fully aware of the importance of sleep, but obviously her kids don't <laughs> give a crap <laughs> about it. So what I said and what I often say to people and Jack, I hear Jack say this all of the time to his clients is focus on the quality rather than the quantity. So if the quantity is out of your control, you can still control the quality of sleep that you get. 
And there are so many things that you can do to control the quality. The first most important uh, would definitely be blue light blockers or minimizing your exposure to blue light an hour to an hour and a half before you go to sleep. So blue light blockers are pretty trendy now actually, but they're just these glasses that you wear and they block the light that comes out of electronics and light bulbs and everything that keeps your brain active. So essentially if you're absorbing blue light it is telling your brain that we need to stay awake and the day is still going. Um, so let's just keep Power being on. alert and yeah. awake. Um, and if you can block the blue light, like to the best of your ability, then it allows your brain to register that, okay, the sun has set essentially because we are no longer cavemen, but we have not evolved yet to know the difference between the sun and light bulbs. But anyway, yeah, so... The blue light blockers just help you wind down and relax and ultimately fall asleep faster and fall into a deeper sleep so your sleep quality is better. Yeah, so a couple of things on that. First, blue light blockers, get a good set. It's yeah. gonna cost you a bit, but they should last you a lifetime. Like we bought ours a couple of years ago now and they're still good. I had to replace mine once because the dogs chewed them up. <laughs> but other than that, there should be no need to replace them. Um, as long as you get a good pair. Now there's a lot of imitation ones out there that just have the tinted and- They just, they look trendy. And they don't lenses. actually block any blue light. So just do your research before you buy them. Unfortunately, the ones we've got now have been bought out by another company. Still a good company, I can link them in the show notes, but just do your own research. Make sure you're getting a good set that block blue and green light. Um, when the mums are waking up during the night, I'd strongly suggest putting them on before you turn on any lights because obviously you come out of this sleep and then you flick a light on, blue light, your body's gonna think it's morning and it's gonna wake up so you're not gonna be able to get back to sleep. Or um, red light. Yeah. It's a bit weird, but um, putting red globes in just a couple of lamps between your room and the kids' room, put, it, put red, globes in a couple of lamps in both rooms. So when you do flick those lights on, it's not emitting blue light. So again, there's certain globes out there that you can get that are red light that don't actually admit um, blue and green light. So that's another way so you don't have to um, wear glasses, but it limits the blue light coming in when you wake up during the night. And honestly, it will probably, if you put one in the baby's room, it'll probably help the baby sleep better too. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I just want to say, like you said, quality sleep. So a good example is when you've got an infant and when they fall asleep, you can pretty much pick their arm up and just drop it down on the ground. And it's like, they're just, they're out, they're out completely out of it. But you do that to a adult and they're going to wake up because mm. they're not into a, in a deep sleep. So you want to get the same deep sleep as that baby. So, you, um, I see a lot of mums and will sync their schedule with their baby sleep or whatever, however you want to work it. Um, but the baby is getting deeper sleep. That's why they might not need as much as you do or you feel like a lot tired and you're like, what, how's this kid going crazy and I'm getting the same amount of sleep? It's because they're getting deeper sleep. So that's what we mean by better quality. So out like a light and nothing can wake you up. Yeah. And it, again, it is a lot harder for an adult because you have a lot more going through your head. Um, which would go into the next step of just removing things that are stimulating 
around nighttime. Yeah, and not even just your TV, phone, laptop, iPad, but also like lights in your bedroom, like TV lights, mm-hmm. having a t- just a TV present in there can be stimulating. Like if you normally watch TV in bed and then you get in bed and try not to watch TV, your brain and body have already associated with bed as watching TV, being entertained, um, being stimulated. So it can be way harder for you to fall asleep. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that you don't do anything in bed other than go to sleep mm. and other things that adults do. But <laughs> just just have your bedroom as your bedroom because like we said with pain, the brain associates sensations, touch your environment with your behavior. So obviously whatever you do in your bedroom your brain's going to associate that with how alert it should be or how sleepy it should be. Yeah, and it, it knows TVs are stimulating. So if it goes into a bedroom, it sees TV, it's going to think, well, that's stimulating. Even though I'm not watching it, it's going to associate it with it. So all technologies out of the bedroom, including phones, tablets, any other, probably the only thing would, that would be appropriate would be a baby monitor. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else. Obviously, alarm clock and that sort of stuff which we'll get into a second, but um, everything else should not be in there. Agreed? Agreed. (laughs) Um, So alarm clocks. Yes. Do you want to elaborate on alarm clocks? So we talk about this a lot. We have a light alarm. So Sunrise alarm. Sunrise alarm. So, and this, especially for the mums. So your nighttime routine matters and your morning routine matters because what you do in the morning dictates how your body reacts in the night to go to sleep. Although it seems weird, but what you do in the morning dictates how you sleep at night, not just what leads up to your sleep. So both morning and night matter. So we have a light alarm that the alarm, the light slowly turns on at a certain time. So if I wanna wake up at six o'clock, this light starts coming on at 5.30 and it wakes me up when I come out of a sleep cycle, which we won't get into because that's a whole nother conversation. But as I start to wake up, I'll wake up to the light rather than a yeah. Now, if I don't wake up by 10 past six or, or by six or something like that, it will make a noise to make sure I'm out of bed. So it, it's always there. Um, and obviously morning routine, you want to jump in on that a little yeah, this is probably actually my favorite thing or the, the thing that I have changed the most to improve my sleep. So go back four years probably and I would get woken up by an alarm on my phone, roll over and go on my phone, scroll on my phone for anywhere between 20 minutes and an hour and then get up and I don't know, I can't even remember, have breakfast and whatever else. Now our morning routine is we either get woken up by the sunrise alarm clock or Rollo, our sausage dog, crying for his breakfast because his body clock is amazing. But essentially we get up and turn all of the overhead lights on because often when we get up it's still quite dark outside. And then that just signals to your brain that if there's light over your head that the sun is up and you should be alert. And then we generally go for a walk because I think I've spoken 101 times about getting sunlight into your eyeballs first thing in the morning 
to signal to your brain that it's the day, we have to be alert for the next 12 hours or whatever. And also walking forward is a very good signal to your brain that it's time to switch on and be focused, just the whole movement. And it also is very beneficial for your digestion and everything because it's like walking is like a massage for your intestines. And then after we've been for a walk, usually down to the beach, we try to look out to a horizon because that has been shown to really help improve your focus later in the day and it helps reduce the bags under your eyes. Have I spoken about this on the podcast yet? Don't I can't remember. I don't think so. But you'll notice if you look at a screen for like the whole day, the bags under your eyes or the dark circles under your eyes generally get a lot more enhanced because your eyes don't have to strain very much. They're just looking like within a 30 centimeter box for hours. And then if you go out and look at a horizon, your eye muscles actually have to move in and out. Think like a, what is it? A telescope or something Mm -hmm. to focus and try and see as far as you can. So that uses all of your eye muscles. So then it tightens the muscles and the skin around your eyeballs. Anyway, I'm getting very off off topic, but. (laughs) Anti-aging tip right there. And then we come back and have a coffee. Sometimes we read, sometimes we get into work straight away. Sometimes we post to social media. Um, Have I forgotten something? No, so I just wanted to, before we go on and listen to questions, let's just sort of give a couple of general tips. We've just said a whole lot of things that are gonna improve your sleep in the quality of sleep. So for those listening, I just want to give you just something to do tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've just given you a whole lot of info. Don't change heaps of things at once. So I want you to take the easiest thing that you just heard and make that just a constant in your night or morning routine. So Mac said, like one of the biggest things you can do, the best things I recommend is getting up and going for a walk straight away. Mm-hmm. Now, that might not be feasible for you. So get up, walk out to the road and back. Just walk the driveway. It does not have to be big. Just getting outside and moving and getting some sunlight in your eyes. Just walking out to your letterbox or the road and coming back, just getting outside. Simple. I'd recommend doing that to start with. Um, Just what's the simplest thing you reckon a mother could do during the night? During the night or in the nightly like lead up routine? During the night. The most simple thing during the night, probably don't pick up your phone when you get up to tend to your baby. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know how many times I have this conversation. They're like, yeah, I couldn't go back to sleep. So I just got on my phone. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Just turn your phone off for the night or put it somewhere where you're not going. Again, it shouldn't even be in your room. So... Um, just find something else you can do rather than go on your phone. Yeah. And order yourself some blue light blockers. Well, I was going to say when we were talking about blue light blockers before, think about, like, often I get asked about melatonin and supplements for sleep, but if you start, yes, I'm not saying don't have supplements at all, but there's, like, a time and place for supplements. But if you think about buying supplements once you start, unless you change all of your other physical habits, you're going to have to keep buying supplements forever. And that's going to cost you way more money than buying a pair of blue light blockers. Mm. So just, I don't know, sometimes I think people need to uh, just be told or put in perspective 
the like spending money on your health, you know, doesn't have to be spending money on supplements. There are other options and far better and far more, uh, what's the word, like cheaper, financially liable options than just supplements. Yeah. And that is why the supplement industry is two times the size of the gym industry. <laughs> so all the gym memberships over the whole world is half of the money sold in supplements. Wow. So, because it's easy. Yeah. So exactly what Mac was just talking about. It's easy to take a pill and change your habits. But change your habits, you're going to be healthier. Your body's going to feel better. You're going to have the energy, the same energy your kids do. And you're going <laughs> to achieve more. <laughs> All right. Listen to questions. I didn't even put a question box up this week, so it's all you. All right. So I had – oh, sorry. The first one was about sleep. So um, a night shift worker getting home Ooh. at 3 o'clock or trying to go to sleep at 3 o'clock, how do they do it? Good question. Um, pretty much everything we just talked about. Obviously, depending on your job, you're probably not going to be able to wear blue light blockers or limit the blue light, mm. which sucks um, because, that, again, that's probably going to be the best thing. But as soon as you get home, if you can, eliminate all blue light. So phones off, TVs off, don't even turn your TV, don't, don't turn stimulating things on as soon as you get home because the idea is you want to wind down as quickly as possible so you can get to sleep as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I was going to say, not that I've ever done night shift, but when I used to work in a bar, I found this extremely hard because I would come home from work and generally eat dinner quite late and then you feel full and working depends where the night shift is but working in a stimulating place your brain is like all over the show right and then you have to eat and you're full and it's really hard to go to sleep so if you do work night shift like the biggest recommendation I can suggest is try to make your whole like you want to shift what you would normally do in the day and night to suit your day and night hours. So don't just, uh, I guess, don't ignore what you've been doing for tens of years, as in just because you finish work at three doesn't mean that it's, I don't know, you wanna still try and have dinner like a couple of hours before you go to bed. You wanna still try and limit TV an hour or so before you go to bed. You wanna still get up at the same time every morning it sucks with night shift because some people do it week on, week off. So mm. that that makes it extremely hard. You can't but, get in a routine. Yeah, but you want to try and yeah make a routine. You want to try and mimic. If you're doing it for seven days, try and have the exact same routine for seven days because our brains love routine. They love consistency and what's the word I'm looking for? Repeated yeah. behavior. Yeah. So try your best to just shift your entire daily habits to suit the hours that you work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say was that we should have spoken about before was getting up at the same time every day. Is, has that not made the biggest difference to oh, your energy yeah. levels? <laughs> Going to sleep and getting up at the same time. But it was more for mothers, so we couldn't really... Yeah, that's a bit hard. Yeah. Um, but for night shift workers, like you said, just trying to make a routine out of it would be the best option. Um, I know it's very hard when it's like you might do one night out of a week, which is sucks. Yeah. I just do everything to minimise the damage that that's causing. Because yeah. it, it, that is going to cause more damage than doing a couple of nights in a row because it is going to throw you out for a couple of days. Yeah. 
and you've got to get back into another routine. So yeah, just finding what you can do to minimize the stress and everything so you can just go straight into that sleep. Yeah. Um, a good idea is a hot shower. So you want to bring your body temperature down before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. So a hot, sh- it seems weird and everybody's like, oh, cold showers, but actually at night time you should be having a hot shower because that hot shower then cools your body from the inside out basically because your body's trying to cool down because it's so hot Mm -hmm. so that's a good way to sort of relax but then again you don't want to do that hot shower bring your body temperature uh, drop your body temperature and then jump on your phone or watch something stimulating yeah so if you're going to do it do it all especially if you're just doing that one night shift or two night shifts a week make sure you do all the right things just to minimize the damage yeah cool yeah the last question, because we've been talking for a while, last last question, we'll leave it with this one. I think it's going to be a long one as well. But 75 hard, uh, would you do it again? What did you learn and how did it go? Um, start? <laughs> so I think it was good. We didn't, so we didn't finish. I got to about day 60 and missed. So basically... For those that don't know what 75 hard is, it's 75 days of following certain things. And if you miss one of those things, you need to go back to day one. Just say what the things are because it's- Two workouts a day, two 45 minute, minimum 45 minute workouts a day. One had to be outdoors or both had to be outdoors, but one had to be outdoors. They couldn't be one after the other. So you had to split them up. Um, You had to drink three and a half liters a day, read 10 pages of a nonfiction book. Follow a certain diet. Take a progress picture. Take a progress picture each day. So that, yeah, that was that, that it? That it? It was invented by Andy Fasella. So he's like a, one of the big, biggest business gurus. I think he's got number one or two podcast in the business category. So he knows what he's talking about. And it's just all about discipline. Mm-hmm. What I, the biggest takeaway from it um, was I learned how to be more disciplined. So basically our fitting two workouts in a day, we just went for a 45 minute walk and a gym session each day. Um, that, it, it was good, but it was tricky fitting it all in. Um, and the biggest thing I learned was cutting out sugar, like processed foods. So we said no preservatives, no sugar, and we had to make all the food ourselves. So Which we basically do anyway. Yeah, so obviously that adds more into it, but it was just crazy the discipline that you learn from that. So how many times I'd just have like a, I don't know, a snack or a treat, or you'd get a coffee so you'd get a cake. How many times I'd do that was a lot because I'd still get my coffee here and there. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm not having that. But the discipline that that built and the realization that I don't deserve all that, like the thing, I'd tell myself I deserve that chocolate cake because I've been working out so hard. Yeah. But you don't actually deserve anything because you've been working out so hard. It's just something you tell yourself. So you can can have that chocolate cake. And the amount of times I would tell myself that, or I'd eat a little bit more, or I'd have a bit of extra meal or something like that, just because I think I deserved it was massive. And I learned a lot more about discipline and saying no and just self-control. Um, although I didn't finish it, it got a bit tedious towards the end 
because we're trying to get shit done and, oh, fuck, we've got to go for another walk or I've got to cook a whole meal or that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so basically I just missed – I didn't drink all three liters and I didn't read my ten pages. I could have done it all before I went to bed, but I wouldn't have actually been reading. I would have just been looking at words. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, well, you know. No alcohol, that was the other oh, thing. Oh, no alcohol, yeah, which was – which we don't really drink anyway, so that was easy. Um, what did you learn? Well, I didn't get as far as Jack because I got very sick. I didn't test, but I'm pretty sure I got COVID in the middle of it, so I had to start again. But I think I learnt... There's so much I learnt from it. But the biggest thing in relation to food that I learnt was I really liked having the rule i know the whole diet culture at the minute is hashtag no diet culture eat what you want do what you want but i really liked not having the option Mm. so we couldn't have packaged food or like mm, we could have packaged food like we could have rice and frozen fruit but we couldn't have what we considered junk food Mm. um and i liked not having that option because I do often fight with myself. If one of us suggests that we want a Tim Tam or we want a croissant or something, we we spend half an hour to three hours being like, you go get cookies. No, you go get cookies. No, we don't want cookies. Actually, yeah, let's get cookies. Actually, no, we don't want cookies. So we do this whole thing. We make a whole thing out of it. And really, we don't actually want the cookies. Sometimes, like the other day, last week, we went and got cookies after the gym because we were both hungry and tired right so minimal self-control and while they were okay they weren't as good as I remembered one they made me feel sick as fuck afterwards and then the next day my stomach felt like trash Mm. so I think having the 75 hard rules in place just no cookies for example mentally it was a lot easier for me to just say I can't have them whatever Mm. doesn't it doesn't matter I'm fine with that The other thing, the other big thing that I learned was uh, I do have enough time to exercise two hours a day and it's not a bad thing, but that doesn't mean I should want or feel like I have to do it. Like I liked it at the start because I felt very motivated and like we had to go out in torrential rain a few days and I really liked having to read every day, like I like not having choice. (laughs) Is that weird? It just minimized my decision fatigue. I am a very, 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 very indecisive person. Ask Jack. Yep. (laughs) So I think minimizing my decision fatigue, like saying I have to do these things, just it made my day a lot easier, but also it filled up a lot of time obviously as well. Yeah, and that's what I mean, just discipline. Yeah. A lot of people aren't disciplined. And I think it's frowned upon, right? To be disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. Like you should you hashtag live your life or and whatever. Yeah, you deserve this. And like, I'm not saying no one deserves anything, but we all need more discipline in our lives. And like you said, having those rules in place that you have to do this, you can't do that, just makes you more disciplined. And you have to do like you have to do what you can and you can't do the other things. Like, and just working on that discipline. Even for me, like I would call I'd say we're healthy, but again, there was gaps in our lives. You know, we had to add all this stuff in, but then still get work done. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get all this stuff done. But then when you have to get it done, you get it all done. Mm -hmm. It's just discipline. You're working on this 
discipline. Like that's all I can say. Like if you find yourself doing all these things and you're not getting results or you're not moving and you're not progressing in your work or your business and all that sort of stuff, set yourself some rules. Do the 75 hard, but just set your own rules. Yeah. These are must-dos and these can't do. Like it done. Like stick to it and be disciplined and you actually get a whole lot more done. Yeah. 100%. Quickly before we go, I actually said this on uni break, right? I had uni break and I had a few things to do for uni, but not much. So I did none of it, right? Until uni came back. And just like I think we've said before, a little bit of stress is good. A little bit of stress is motivating. A little bit of pressure is motivating. But then obviously if you go too far in the other direction, um, it just, you stop doing all of the things. But yeah, I think it's just a good example. Sometimes you don't give, put yourself under enough pressure to be like, I have no choice but to do this. So if I have a lot of uni work to do and a lot of client work to do, I just do it because there's no other option, you know what I mean? So sometimes it is beneficial. Yeah, and and obviously I said make the rules and you, got, you have to do them, can't do, but make some sort of, um, you know, what's the, you know, what happens if I don't do it? Mm. Because there isn't any... So you have to... I don't think... Did, we, did you say it? This, yeah. Once yeah. you miss a day, you start again. And because that is pressure to get it done. Yeah. But like, if you just set yourself some rules and this cookie comes around, you're like, oh, I'll just have the cookie. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, I've set these rules, but what happens if I... Did, like, no, but if you make something, you know, make... I've heard a, back in the day, it was a whole old Tim Ferriss thing where you put hundred dollars in to this kitty with a bunch of mates and if somebody fails then you don't get your hundred dollars back and if everybody fails it goes to charity or something like that mm. or you know something like that just make money is a good motivator so somehow work around money when you're setting your goals yeah um, just make sure there is a downside when you do fail yeah I think moral of the story, pressure is a privilege we yeah. are actually privileged to have to be able to put pressure on ourselves to do things mm. Cool. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you all in the next episode. As always, if you want to hear something, talk about something, just chat to us, reach out. Uh, you'll find all the links below and we'll chat to you then. Bye.